Well, hello and welcome to episode 198 of The Call Room. Uh, I'm your host, David Griffiths. Pleasure to be welcoming you to this episode. Uh, hopefully you're going to enjoy the chat that we have with David from Sailor's Grave coming up really soon. Uh, look, just a quick word of small apology from me that we haven't had an episode out for a couple of weeks now. I've been away on holiday with the other delivery gnomes, uh, i.e. my family. Uh, had a river time, and I'll tell you a bit more about that in a moment or two. Uh, but obviously that meant that I couldn't edit any of the podcasts that we have sitting in our system. We've got some great ones coming up. Sailor's Grave today, Burnley coming up soon. So really hoping that you'll be able to enjoy some of those episodes with us. Uh, some great chats with some great Victorian breweries. Uh, really interesting stories to tell on both fronts there. Uh, and look, some great beers as well. The Burnley ones you can get direct from Burnley still at the moment. That's their Oktoberfest pack. Really encourage you to go and check those out on their store. And we've still got two packs for Sailor's Grave left. Uh, and if you haven't encountered Sailor's Grave beers before, well, it's strange because they're a really well-known Victorian brewery, uh, but their beers are really interesting, really iconic ingredients, uh, as you'll hear today, some great stories behind them. Jump onto our online store. All you've got to do is go into your Google machine or whatever search engine you might use and just put in Cool Room Podcast Shopify. That'll take you to the page. Check out the Sailor's Grave ones and uh, grab one of those, and that helps to keep the podcast Ticking along keeps us functioning, and um, that's much, much appreciated by me. Uh, look, make sure you keep your eye on our Facebook as well. gives you information about upcoming events. Uh, we've got some great guests lining up at the moment for October. More about that in a second as well. But particularly encourage you to come and join us at Masterson's Bar out in Mooney Ponds on the 29th of October when we're going to be sitting down with Bells Beach Brewing. Uh, really looking forward to that chat. And look, while I'm talking about Facebook, a big thank you to everyone who has helped us there in the last few days as I record this part of the podcast. Um, we had one brewery that was going to be on in our October uh, pack, had to pull out, uh, so we were looking for uh, an emergency fill-in. I put out the word, asked the question, which breweries people would like to hear from. I think we had about 75 different posts on that uh, one, uh, on that Facebook post. Really appreciate all the ideas. I've been reaching out to a heap of breweries. Uh, knowing that you guys want to hear from them is really important to me because that means that I know we're getting on guests that you want to hear from. Lots of breweries have been back in touch following that, which is fantastic. So, yeah, look, go and check out the Facebook page and make sure you join the conversations about the podcast there and um, a really good opportunity as well for anyone who's keen just to stay up to date with all the things that we have going on. A uh, bit of feedback to us is, is always appreciated. If you've got an idea about a brewery, doesn't matter where they are in the world, uh, if you want to hear their story, uh, look, you can always get us on Facebook, get us on Instagram or just email coolroompodcast at gmail.com and you can get straight through to us. Look, like I said, I've been away with the family. Uh, we drove from Melbourne, where the podcast is based, right up into Central Australia and back down into South Australia. Um, got to visit some really great breweries. 
got to visit some places that are less than flash as well, to be perfectly honest. But look, in terms of the really great ones, uh, the ones that I really enjoyed being at, um, Woolshed Brewing, we've had them on about a year or so ago uh, over near Renmark, basically in Renmark, South Australia. Just an amazing spot there on the river, uh, overlooking the river, huge number of taps on, some really great beers. Look, a real contender for one of the nicest breweries in Australia to sit down and have a beer at. The sun was out. They had a live band on because it was the grand final long weekend. Just a magic spot. So, look, a big shout-out to Jackson and the team from Woolshed. Uh, Great beers, great venue. Uh, Look, a couple of other highlights from our trip. We went past the Prairie Hotel in Parachulna. Now, we're really starting to talk about getting into the outback and up near the Flinders Ranges, uh, and they've just put in their own brewing system up there. Uh, we couldn't quite manage to sit down due to, you know, what it's like in brewing land, friends. Uh, there were some issues there with production, which meant that they were working through the night when there weren't guests in the hotel, uh, and so we couldn't sit down and do an interview. But, look, really fun beers up there, really amazing place to go to. If you're in Australia and you haven't travelled up to the Flinders Ranges and so forth, really encourage you to do so. Really good food there, can I tell you. Uh, I've spent a lot of time in the last few years running restaurants that have Australian uh, ingredients, Australian meats especially, uh, and they do the kangaroo up there. They do many other local ingredients uh, and do them really well in accessible tasty, fun ways. These aren't easy things to cook. They aren't easy things to get right. And uh, I really recommend the Prairie Hotel in Parachulna for that. They didn't ask me to say that. I didn't get any bonuses or anything like that. I still had to pay for my T-shirt like everyone else, but I really loved my time there and also really loved going to the William Creek Hotel. And uh, that, for overseas listeners, for Heinrich in Norway and others, um, we're talking a long way from anywhere now, up near Lake Eyre, which was in of itself a really amazing space to go to. Uh, William Creek claim, and why would I argue that they are the only pub in the world with a fly-in bottle shop? That's right, not just drive-in, but the distances up there are so vast that uh, people fly in. So that weekend for the grand final, there were already planes landing up there. There was about eight or nine planes there. I think they were aiming for even more than that. Uh, and look, yeah, it's just an amazing part of the world. Really traditional place. I'll put some photos up of our trip up there and um, thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly recommend uh, for anyone who's in Australia to take a bit of a tour up into that part of the world. Just an amazing place to be. Um, a couple of disappointments, you know, like we always try to focus on the positive here on the podcast, but I've got to say that uh, there were a couple of places where I was hoping for more. Uh, in terms of naming names, uh, Mildura, I was really hoping that uh, visiting the brewing company up there uh, that used to be like a, a really sort of important one, at least in terms of you'd see a lot of their stock down here in Melbourne. You don't really anymore. And I've got to say, and not just because I was there when Collingwood were winning a semi-final, uh, which obviously took the edge off the day for me, but um, their beers were a bit ho-hum. And there are a couple of other towns that we went to along the way, which you can just see the effects that big pokies joints have on some towns and cities. So there were some towns that we went to where literally the only place that was open was a pokies joint, and it was just not a pleasant place to drink. Like, you know, as people who listen to this podcast know, you know, 
I'm more than happy to go and have a, you know, can of Melbourne at a bowls club. I'm not particularly precious about, you know, drinking things that aren't always the craftiest of crafty. But some of these places just felt, well, even worse than soulless. They felt a bit soul-destroying. So anyone who has any capacity to make sure that we have, you know, fun local places where people get to go and enjoy themselves rather than sitting in front of pokies machines. I just so encourage you to make sure that you do that. It's one of the things that I do through some of the other hats that I wear. Uh, and, yep, just just awful places to be, to be blunt. But, look, as I say, I try never to do, or very rarely to do negative things, and let's get the hype going again. Let's get the positivity going again, because this chat with Sailor's Grave came off the back of our quick chat that we had with them at the Bendigo Beer Festival, and uh, this was a great opportunity to sit down, talk to my almost namesake, David from Sailor's Grave, David from Beer Mash as well, for that matter. Uh, David, as you will hear from many, many other places, uh, and a really interesting chat with him about some great beers and certainly someone who is a bit of an icon in the Melbourne craft beer scene. Well, hello and welcome to episode 198 of The Cool Room. Uh, excellent fun we have ahead of us tonight as we catch up with David Clark, who wears a number of hats. Officially, he's wearing his sailor's grave hat tonight, but I'm sure we can talk about some of those other hats along the way. And we've got an awesome lineup of beers here to taste with him in the cool room. If you're playing along in the podcast version, well, in fact, matter if you're playing along at home and you want to know which beers you need in front of you, we're going to be officially tasting tonight the Dark Emu, the Lemon Meringue Cream Sour, and the Law of the Tongue. And there's some great yarns to go along with some really great beers there. Uh, I was really hoping that Mr. Warren Wu would be able to join us in the room at the beginning of the podcast. He's doing one of his old school Wu turn up times. Um, but I really wanted him to be able to ask the first question. But I guess I'm going to have to ask it myself. Um, David, what's it like to have such an awesome name? Uh, it's an absolute pleasure, Uh I'm stuck with it for life. You are as well, but we've uh, both spelt our names very differently just to uh, stand out from the rest. One of our, um, I was actually thinking earlier, an interesting thing with, with Sailor's Grave is we actually have three Daves working for us, but we only have about six or seven employees. So pretty much half of our staff are Davids or Davids, which is absolutely ridiculous. So if you're looking for a job and your name is David, we're the barons come work with. How did you know that I was uh, that I had a silly spelling of my name and that I was looking for a job? You've nailed me absolutely there. Uh, that's it. Uh, I think over, over the years, uh, before we actually met, we we've been receiving each other's stock from uh, at our bottle shops and bars a couple of years earlier, right? Purely because of our ridiculous spellings. Absolutely, we we have been confusing the Melbourne beer scene for many a moon now. Um, I, all good, all positive. I hate that, I hate that uh, it's going to be all kind of cleaned up tonight. Everyone's going to know who is who, finally. Well, we can talk over each other a bit and stuff like that, and I'm sure we'll just sort of add to the confusion on that front. So I've got faith, brother. I've got faith. Uh, you're, a, you're, a, you're a David with a Welsh spelling? I'm a David with a kind of Welsh spelling. If it was a properly Welsh spelling, it would be a D-A-F-F-Y-D-D. So... I think the shortened version of that is die, which is charming. Yeah, or 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 Dav, also mine can get shorter to Dav, as in Dav Watmore, the former Victorian cricket coach. For those 
who are familiar with the, the Victorian cricket scene in the 1980s. So um, I'm not getting many nods from the cool room Zoom room tonight. So we might we might push on. Why don't we talk about craft beer rather than odd spellings of names? Um, brother, you're, you're here tonight to talk about Sailor's Grave. Uh, shout out to all of our international listeners. Indonesia up there at the moment. So thank you to Indonesia for tuning in. Um, Let's do a little bit of Victorian and Australian geography for people who don't know their way around uh, the traps of Australia as well as others. Can you tell us, first of all, where Sailor's Grave is? And um, it's a very beautiful and special part of the world. Paint a bit of a picture for us. Yeah, so I guess, I mean, we're a Victorian brewery, but we're pretty much one of the most regional Victorian breweries. So five hours driving uh, southeast of Melbourne. So on your way to the New South Wales border, uh, in a little tiny t- kind of town, not too far from the coast, called Orbost, uh, which is, it's absolutely gorgeous. It's like, th- there's not a lot down there, I'll be honest, but uh, it's absolutely gorgeous. It's right on the edge of the Snowy River, which is an absolutely beautiful part of the Victorian coastline. Uh, so the brewery is based down there in a 100-plus-year-old uh, upcycled kind of butter factory it is a very, very rustic location, uh, and Gavin Chris, the two owners and founders of the brewery, uh, both grew up in the region, and both, or they, they still live out that way as well now in a little town called Marlow, right on the coast. And I guess essentially a lot of the brand's inspiration has come from the kind of geographic location of the brewery, which uh, I'm sure we'll discuss plenty more of this evening. Yeah, there's lots of good reasons to talk about that tonight. And um, I guess for people who've listened into the last couple of episodes and highly suggest that people do, where we had Seeker Brewing on in the South Coast Ale Trail up in New South Wales, sort of working their way down there from sort of Wollongong to Batemans Bay and Marimula and so forth. If you kept driving along that road for, again, another three or four hours, you'd sort of get down to where you guys are in that direction. So that probably doesn't help anyone at all for, uh, for who's overseas to get their sense of things. But we're sort of continuing that ale trail, uh, you know, over the border and into Victoria tonight. What would it, what would it feel like? I thought Mr. Warren Wu was in the room. He's, he's joined and run off again. That's all good. That's a, that's a, he gets a double entry tonight for that. Well done, Mr. Wu. Um, you've got a little tap room up there at the, at the brewery. What would Thursday night up there be feeling like tonight? So down at the brewery, like unlike most breweries that have kind of got the classic tap room, uh, you know, wine barrels, they're doing burgers and fries, they've got the whole thing going on. We're really, really leaning into the fact that we are a rural brewery. We are very small. Uh, It's actually really, really cool. I I don't get down there very often myself, uh, so some of the questions about the brewery uh, will be based on the few times I've been down there. But essentially, we've got this kind of pop-up trailer, uh, if you will, that has, like, it's called our Tap Shack. Uh, It is outdoors, so it's very weather-dependent, and it's kind of cool. Like, I like the fact that we've got that because you kind of get down there after your five hours driving, if you're coming from Melbourne. If not from Sydney, it's probably like seven or eight hours. Uh, you kind of get down there and you're suddenly connected to nature. You're connected to the elements. Uh, you're looking out at the snowy river. There's a cow in the distance. Just the one. Just the one. Only one cow. 
And uh, you kind of, you can watch the sun, you know, you're, you're really like capturing like the true essence of Gippsland through that. So it's not a very showy tap room by any, any means. And I really dig that. And I love that we can kind of lean into that as much as possible through our beers, but also through the location. And that's, so I, I imagine it's probably not a rowdy brewery on a Thursday night. If I don't even know if the guys are open down there tonight to be fair, uh, but kind of give you a bit of an idea of what it's like down there. It's absolutely gorgeous. You kind of like, there's dust everywhere. There's kids running around whenever you're down there. Uh, you can watch the sunset. It's fucking gorgeous. And it's like, you're instantly relaxed. It's like the great outdoors. It's kind of like, you know, when you go camping and you crack a beer and you I sit do, in your I chair do know that. and you look out and you look, you like, you put your, you, <laughs> you put your can of beer, whatever the beer is into like, into your, into your uh, chair. And you're like, this is peak relaxation. And you're like, that is one of the best kind of Australian experiences that you can have over and over and over again. And, that's kind of what I feel whenever I'm down at the brewery down there as well. Awesome. You've painted a beautiful picture for us. It's a, a great part of the world to get down to for people who are lucky enough to, to be in Australia and have that capacity. Um, before we actually start to talk about the first beer that's in our glass, and I'll let Mr. Wu do that in a moment now that he's in the room with us, but um, I just wanted to ask about the name. Uh, where does the name come from? And we've already had a bit of chatter here in the, in the Zoom room chat about... Apostrophes. Apostrophes. Few things excite me more than apostrophe chat. Hey, uh, likewise, I love a bit of grammar. Um, I only actually asked this question to Gavin Chris a couple of months ago. I actually never knew because uh, I've been a, I've been a long time supporter of the brand since pretty much you know the first the first year of inception. I've only been working with the guys for about the last year or so. Uh, but yeah, the, the the story behind the Sailor's Grave is so uh, the details are. Basically, down on the coast, down kind of down near Cape Conran, which is down near Marlow, which is where Gab's family grew up. Uh, along the coast, there used to be in the eighties a lot of shacks down there, right? So remember beach shacks, kind of real, kind of like bohemian, kind of like weekend away kind of living. Unabomber, go and collect <laughs> your own mushrooms and that kind of. Yeah, shack. totally. So apparently, like. Uh, a bunch of the, the crew down there in the, back in the eighties, when you could, you know, there was no red tape around setting up a bar. They would literally just take down a keg and ice and just set up a bar in the sand dunes. You know, this is probably, you know, I wasn't there. So this is kind of like, you know, through, through folklore stories of people talking about, you know, back in the day kind of stuff. But allegedly. What, allegedly. What you got to picture is essentially, you know, a bunch of eighties Australia in the middle of nowhere, kind of on the coast, in the sand dunes, someone's just gone, oh, I'm setting up the bar. And that bar became known as the Sailor's Grave. Uh, I guess to find out what the, the where that's, that name came from would be going back another generation to kind of discover. But it was, I guess, when, when the guys were coming up with the name for the brewery, it was an homage to easier, simpler times and, you know, Nobody, you can't set up, I don't think anybody can set up a bar in the sand dunes in Australia anymore. It's so hard to get a liquor license there. Absolutely right. Trying to just try to redline a sand dune as it blows in the wind would be, you know, that's almost, <laughs> there's a French existential novel in that one. We've had a few French existential novels of late on the show, but that one, just trying to redline a, an ever moving piece of land would be, a, there's, there's a novel in that. 
Mr. Warren Wu loves his French existential novels. Um, how are you tonight, Mr. Wu? I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm, I've, I've, I'm kind of like rocking up late as per usual. Unfortunately, it was one of my favourite breweries, which I've rocked up late for, which is which kind of sucks. You haven't missed too much, mate, and here's your opportunity to indulge in a conversation about the dark emu. And thanks, everyone. Good night. Nice. Oh, yeah, and tonight I'm surrounded by people who can't spell David, apparently. We can. We can spell it the right way. But let's not. We've already done that, (laughs) Have you done that? Have you done that shtick already? See, that's all I was in for. I knew I'd miss that. (laughs) So, yeah, the dark, well, the dark emu, dark dark lager this is oh this is perfect oh yeah if i'm gonna come if i'm gonna arrive late to a podcast then being greeted by uh this beer is pretty it's a pretty good little consolation Mm. um david tell us about the the dark emu so this is a beer uh, that Gavin Chris started brewing, I want to say about three years ago. Um, I think we're on to, we've done about, we've done, you know, about half, about a dozen batches of this now. Essentially, it is a collaboration with Bruce Pascoe, first and foremost. Oh, before we talk about what, what the beer is in the style, uh, a collaboration with Bruce Pascoe, who is uh, First Nations Aboriginal man. He is a Ewan man. Uh, he's a writer. He's a poet. He's a storyteller. Mm. And a couple of years back, uh, I think he's written about 30 plus books. He wrote this one book called Dark Emu. Uh, if you haven't read it, stop listening to this and go and buy a copy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, that, yeah. I yeah, highly I mean, You can that. finish this. Yeah. This is only an hour, so you can finish this and go and buy the book. You can do we both. Can stop and go and buy the book and then come back to this. Like, we'll uh, figure it out. Like, we trust our audience. They're good people. Bruce, I guess, tells the story of First Nations people being the earliest uh, adapters of, of harvesting and agriculture mm. in the world. And in Australia, we don't necessarily acknowledge that, uh, and we still don't. Uh, and so he's kind of written this book that he kind of he t- talks about a lot of those things. And that, that, that's one of the many things that Bruce is kind of really passionate about. Mm. And I'm sure everybody listening here, I assume, probably will be as well. Um, he grew up in the Gibson region, uh, and I think Tasmania, if I'm if I'm correct. I, I haven't actually met Bruce myself yet, um, but just through like watching his documentary and reading the book and stuff, and learning all those kind of bits and pieces about him, uh, he has kind of like come together with Sailor's Grave to work on this collaboration. And the idea was to make a beer using local grains. Mm-hmm. So. A lot of grains that we grow in Australia are not Australian grains. They're, they're, they're European grains. So we grow European grains and they use more water, more farming, more manual labour, all of those kind of factors, right? They're more expensive. And he's kind of, so we're like, well, why don't we just use native Indigenous grains for making bread, for example? Mm-hmm. We essentially have used a bunch of grains that are harvested and foraged uh, by Bruce and also by Terry Hayes, who does the artwork on the on the can. Absolutely gorgeous artwork. Mm. Uh, I never get sick of seeing this can. It's so beautiful. Um, so they're kind of, they've harvested these grains and the idea is to try to make a beer that uses these grains so that we can, through a scenario like right now, have conversations about things that are important to do with 
whether it's Indigenous culture, whether it's uh, the history of Australia, whether it's uh, reconciliation, all the good things that kind of come out of positive conversations. And I find this beer is like a really cool tool for that. And people always are welcome to having conversations and open to having conversations, not to get too political here, uh, Mm. when they've got a beer in front of them. You've got a coffee in front of you in the morning at the bus stop, no one wants to talk to you. When you've got a beer in front of you, more than happy to have a conversation. So I guess this is kind of like the way I see this beer, very personally at least, is almost like a tool for connectivity. Um, and it's, it's almost like an extension, uh, an extra tangible extension on the Book Dark Emu. Uh, so it's, it's, really, it's really beautiful beer. Uh, beer style-wise, mm-hmm. to move away from all the other stuff, uh, it is a dark lager. So it's still a very normal, accessible beer, uh, I guess taking a little bit of a nod from uh, European-style dark lagers. Mm-hmm. That you kind of get like uh, roasted malts. You get a little bit of a nutty kind of profile. Uh, in particular, this beer has got... I'm not going to pronounce the grass seeds because they're Indigenous names and I don't want to do the injustice. Uh, but basically roasted uh, the grass seeds, so mm-hmm. a bunch of Indigenous grains and grass seeds. Uh, so that gives it like a bit of a kind of nutty, earthy yep. complex. Mm. Uh, the beer itself is brewed using uh, SARS hops, which yep. are kind of like a, uh, a, a kind of a pretty mild kind of like earthy herbal kind of kind of tone. I'm not a brewer, so I you know not going to go into deep, deep details on the uh, on the hops. But, but uh, certainly a very traditional hop to use in a lager as well. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Yeah, it's like I think like the the hop that is like most used in like uh, in pilsners, for example, and like very much European lager style beers. Mm-hmm. Uh, my the other hop is my favourite named hop, uh, Fuggle. Kind of oh, takes me. Back. Yes. Anybody? Would somebody uh, you just mentioned the eighties earlier it reminds me of Fraggle Rock. I was going to say, did you grow up watching Fuggle Rock? Yeah, that's a... <laughs> certainly did. Uh, yeah, Fuggle was kind of like a, a, a British, very much like a well-rounded, kind of complete the beer kind of style hop. Uh, anyone's familiar with the, the traditional IPA, you know, that's that's kind of like the old English style IPAs. That was one of the, the hops that was used there. A uh, little bit more of a woody kind of thing going on. And the idea there is that is all to complement the Australian native grains that we're using oh. in the beer. Um, Shana in the chat has asked a really good question. We'll throw it out now, even though it's an audience question, and Shana's good, a good friend of the podcast. Um, I think it's really, uh, yeah, it's really poignant for this one. So has the grain bill, keeping in mind you're not the brewer, but it's one of these questions that you probably know the answer to, has the grain bill changed with um, each release? Originally I thought it was a specific grain, but it doesn't seem to be listed as strongly now. Um, yeah, does that make sense to you? Yes, uh, I believe so. Um, yeah, so full disclosure, I'm no, very, very rarely at the brewery because uh, it's so far away uh, and there's only one cow in town. To... <laughs> um, more cows? Would you go more often? Anyway, let's not, uh, don't, don't answer that. Let's just... I'd be there all the time. I'd move there. Move? Yeah, yeah, there you go. Thank you. Uh I believe the a couple of different um, grass seeds have been used, uh, and it basically the reason that I'm, I'm aware of is essentially it comes down to Bruce himself being able to to be available to go out foraging uh, on his land, which is down in Gippsland. Uh, he's a busy man, mm. and 
I believe, yeah. So it basically depends which what we can kind of forage. And that's kind of like the beauty of, of foraging as well. You kind of you get what you get. So I'm pretty sure one of the I think some of the first releases used one or two different grass seeds, and now I think it's a combination of two or three different grass seeds uh, each time. So there will be, I'm sure there will be a slight slight difference uh, of complexity with each each one, but I'm okay with that kind of stuff. I like beers to be different every time I have them. Um, I'm not sure if this is due to the grain bill itself. I feel like it's got a, a, a different texture from what I'd expect. Do you reckon that's probably part of the the whole the whole using a, a grain that's not quite traditional, not like the 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 pure grain bill, the the pure beer malting grain bill that we normally get? What kind and of what are the differences? I suppose can you can you outline what what some of the differences we should be expecting from the texture of the grain, or just everything? Like in terms of this beer and and what we and what we normally. Um, uh, consider like a traditionally brewed, traditionally grain, traditional grain bill for for uh, a dark lager. And this is there is there specifics or there's little notes that we should be picking up that 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 you that you find you see in this that you might that that expresses those grains and and seeds. Yeah, I don't know. Um, as I said, like not being a brewer, it's really hard to kind of answer those mm. specific kind of direct question. But what I, I mean. With the brewing down there at the brewery, something that's really cool is I'm, I'm not kind of doing like a bit of a politician answer here. Is uh, love it. We we we're <laughs> those people suck, but we don't mind hearing what they say. <laughs> uh, I really like the fact that like our, our beers are kind of quite versatile and unique in the way that we're not kind of brewing ever true to style. Like Chris is one of my favorite Australian brewers and has been for many years because. He's kind of like brewing things the way that he wants to drink a beer and then the way that he wants uh, or him and Chris, uh, him and Gab wants to kind of showcase a beer style. So traditionally and by like the right way, I don't, I don't see us kind of doing things in that way. So it's, and I guess like, and, and part of it is we're, we are always trying to kind of like tell and showcase a, a sense of like nuance of Australiana or a botanical or whatever it is, the story that we're trying to encapsulate through the beer. So I, I imagine it's not going to be, it's not going to taste the same when you try this next to, you know, X dark lager by somebody else, even if they were using the same grains, if mm. they're not trying to kind of like really, really highlight something, are they gonna, I'm not sure if they're going to make it, you know, exactly the same. Yeah. Yep. I haven't really answered your question, sorry. No, no, but I, I like the little journey we went there and it did it did capture what, what I was kind of thinking. Um, I'm going to move, I'm going to move back to the, the, the story, like the dark emu story. Do you, do, what's it like being entrusted to, to kind of carry that along? Because like I, 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 the, the book is, is terrific. I really love yeah. it. And yeah, people should go out and, and search it out and find it and digest it because it's kind of a part of all our histories. But in terms of this as an extension of the book and that story, what's it like to, to go in and, and, and share it with other, other venues and other, and other people and in the whole, yeah, the whole it's, range of ways. It's a, it's a real honor and it's, it's, it's absolutely gorgeous and beautiful. Um, the first time, 
that Gab told me the story, uh, I was absolutely covered in goosebumps. Like I was shivering with like, like I, I wanted to almost cry. You know, it's like that thing when, you know, a friend tells you something like the most beautiful thing in the world. And you're like, oh my God, this is so gorgeous. Uh, essentially those guys, um, uh, so they met at a, at a healing ceremony down in, in the Gippsland region to do with uh, massacres that uh, that the family's ancestors had been involved in from the white uh, and and Aboriginal side of, of things as well. So both both sides of the the, the historic story, uh, and they were there at this healing ceremony some years ago, uh, and that was where where everybody met and became friends. And I guess through the history of the brewery, uh, like Sailor's Grave have been involved in collaborating with so many elements of the community producers just like real wholesome authentic uh collaborate mm-hmm. throughout all of our beers and when they met uh i wasn't there but the, obviously they hit it off straight away and decided that if anybody was gonna use a beer to kind of enhance this story it it was gonna be us and that is that's that's amazing like i've I personally, growing up in Australia for what thirty eight, thirty nine years, had never really had a lot. As, as you know, uh, first born Australian, I never really had a lot of connectivity to First Nations people uh, mm-hmm. as deeply as I have with this beer, um, and also some of our other beers that we've done with Indigenous community um, as well, like with uh, Uncle Noel Butler, we've done a whole bunch of beers and we still have a planned series of other beers to do with uh, with him and his wife, Trish. And that stuff's so cool. Like, I wish I could do that solely as my job. <laughs> you know? uh, and it, it's great. Like, I I, I really, there's, there's a venue in, like, I, I work in sales for the brewery and there's a, um, there's a venue in the, in the CBD recently, quite a large venue, that have contracted taps from all the multinationals and they chuck this beer on for a couple of months and i'll call them out yeah that deserves some uh uh, rooftop bar in the city oh yeah 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 yeah, absolutely um Uh, uh, who's the who's the who's the buyer who pushed that because yeah we we are we are where yeah it is a business so yeah who's the buyer who pushed that is there one particular person who who got on board and really drove that uh, it was uh jay who's one of the managers there and buyer And, you know, and really wanted to use, in, enhance the, the idea of people can have a beer and just yeah. drink a normal beer. Great. If you want to have a secondary conversation about the beer, you don't have to talk about, like, you know, the, the alcohol side of it. It basically, they, they really wanted to use it to enhance conversation. Mm-hmm. And kind of what I was saying before, like, you know, using beer as a tool for conversation is so good. Like, doesn't have to be you can be all about anything people can do it for like mental health or things like that like yep. beer is like a gateway to in having conversations you you have your best conversations with your friends around mm-hmm. a beer uh, yeah. and all those kind of things so yeah th- those guys really leaned into it as well uh for example and that was really really cool uh it was really really sweet very really really proud to be involved in this beer yeah love it uh, i can't wait to do something else you know the you know like dark emu's been huge for us uh even the even the the attention that it got from uh, the right wing was really really <laughs> yeah it's kind yeah. of okay yeah like well, you know like they just prove how fucking stupid they are <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah but um 
yeah, the, the media uh, behind this and, and Bruce's book has been fantastic. Um, any listeners out there, check out the book. Um, there's a documentary on the ABC that just came out recently about maybe about a month ago uh, about Bruce and covering like all the kind of, not just the positivity, but also all the negativity that came from the book. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's cool. It's a really, really cool beer to be a part of. Uh, and the other really cool thing is we are brewing this a hell of a lot more than we were. So it's actually accessible uh, to a lot more people now, which is really cool. One day we'll get it uh, overseas to really, really tell that story to the rest of the world. Yeah. That would be that that would be fascinating. That'd be terrific, yeah. Um, um <clears throat> from there I thought it might be a good idea of uh moving on to the next beer. Um yeah, there's we could talk about Dark Emu all evening on its own, but um the uh, look the lemon meringue cream sour is one of my favorites and in whenever i can get my hand oh well yeah during the summer months it's been on high rotation yes uh, for me so yeah let's let's take an opportunity to move on to the terrific dark emu and onto lemon lemon meringue cream sour um what do you tell people when you're when you're showing this beer to a venue for the first time, or this, or or a customer to the first for the first time? Is that uh, I mean, you know, I work in sales, right? It's a different different kind of pitch every time, but it is it's a mid strength beer, which is really cool for starters. Yep. Uh, it's a three and a half percent, which you know, to a lot of people, I don't know. People are divided on that. Some people get really excited with a mid-strength beer and some people are like, boo, what's the point? You know, all that kind of kind of attitude. Uh, we essentially were the first people, I believe, in Australia to kind of turn or use or coin the term cream sour. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone was making sour beers. I remember when sour beers were kicking off. Yep. I personally, as a buyer and a drinker, was not that engaged because I'd had a really whole bunch of really average beers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was one of the first ones that I actually tried myself as a consumer and stocked in my bar because it's a bloody good beer. Um, it's actually part of our core range, which is, you know, a lot of, a lot of breweries kind of do them seasonally. Uh, but for us, we make this beer all year round. Uh, but yeah, essentially as far as sour beers go, like the spectrum is huge, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, I, I, Almost, I don't know, I'd be willing to argue that the, the sour beer spectrum is the biggest spectrum in the craft beer scene, right? Yep. Uh, this is a very, very accessible beer. It's not challenging. It's got, a, you know, that I hate this word in beer. I'm sure everyone else is going to cringe when I say it, but balance. Mm-hmm. It yeah. hurts so much. It's like, it means, <laughs> it literally means nothing. Mm-hmm. But. But it kind of like gives like a little, it does give like a little bit of everything without being challenging. It's refreshing. It's bright. It's zippy. It's a yeah. little bit tart. There's a little bit of like acidity. And then you get, there's not, it's not like a smoothie sour. So it's not like too creamy, but it still has that lactose vanilla-y, ice creamy kind of mouthfeel. Uh, and then to, uh, I'm going to use the word again, everyone cover your ears. Uh, balance. It's balanced. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My, my favorite thing about this beer, I think, is actually the malt profile. The malt profile really... 
delivers the backbone of a pastry like a meringue actually would, right? That, mm-hmm. that you know, that 5% of a meringue that is the pastry, that malt profile is there if you really want to be nerdy and, you know, delve into your taste buds there. That's really cool. Yeah. Yep. And so. I've I've drank a lot of this from the can. Mm. Um, and it's terrific and and completely smashable. But like from a glass, which I haven't, um, can't remember the last time I drank it. It is there is so many things going on on the nose that you don't necessarily pick up when you're drinking from the can and have that like really super approachable. Um, Why drink from a can? Yeah, well, I do, you know, because like that, I was going to. I'm glad you asked that question, David. I think Warren's status as co-host might need to be questioned. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, yeah. Like that's a fair that's a fair comment. But like, if you're, let's say, so where I purchase this the most is a venue that no longer exists or has been replaced by a vegan croissant shop um, in in good old Flemington, um, and yeah, you would buy it because then you'd wander over to the oval of the primary school across the road and sit in the middle of the oval and smash down uh, lemon meringue cream sours. We've learned a lot about you there, Warren. I mean, the podcast's <laughs> not about you, but we've learned a lot about you in that, in that state. So, so you don't always, you're not always afforded a, a beautiful glass to drink it out of, but you're really rewarded when you drink it out of a glass because there is, uh, there's, there's like guava, a little bit of fennel, and like uh, there, there's like the, uh, just this incredible spectrum of different flavors, which, which um, your 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 nose is just assaulted by. Um, <laughs> the, the most recent batch that we actually did uh, has really impressed me. So, like, you know, with, with anything that you're kind of, like, commonly involved in, you, you kind of, like, it, it, it becomes, like, second nature, so it doesn't impress you as much. Uh, actually, when the, the, the most recent batch that we had of this really, really impressed me, which was really, really cool and exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of like falling in love again, you know. Uh, and... Yeah, the, the, the way that the, the, the guys are using, maybe it's to do with, you know, actually using seasonal produce, the fact that we do have variables that can fluctuate within our within the beer, the same as we'll talk about with, like, the dark emu grains. Uh, you know, maybe one year your, your yield and, and, and flavour profile is going to be stronger or whatnot. But, yeah, it's really cool to, to hear that somebody actually can really, really enjoy so much out of it. Mm. They change it to a glass. <laughs> Um, I love, I, I love this question. And when, when the guests get to choose, as opposed to David, just throwing a whole bunch of cans in random order. Um, when the well, guests I, get I mean, to I do have a crack at like, and you do, and we do fed to, I think we do really well when it comes to us picking the, and, and it's really great that, that a lot of breweries trust us to pick the beers and the order of beers. Or, you dug yourself and, out of that one beautifully. Yeah, I know. How good was that? I thought you were having a dig at me when you said David. No, no, different David. <laughs> no, nah, nah, oh, this is shit. Um, so, David <laughs> Clark, <laughs> uh, what made you decide to pick this as a second beer? I find it really fascinating, and it's kind of a little insight into people's heads when when they tell us 
what yeah, the way they choose what ores or the beers go? Um, I really like to kind of get out of the way the I don't know the the really really important stuff like you know the passion the stuff that I'm really really passionate about. So dark emu for for me is usually first the first thing that I want to talk to people about because the rest of the stuff is the stuff that we do all the time. We do it. We've been doing these beers for years. They're part of our core range. It's a normal beer for us. It's, you know, essentially like, you know, I guess it's supposed to be as impressive, but I, I, I love opening up with something that's, you know, bang in your face, I guess. Um, I also really like drinking low ABV beers. Yeah. To be fair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's one of the joys of working in the beer industry. Uh, sometimes you find yourself going, I can only drink low ABV beers. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's a cool beer. Like I, it's I've watched so many people, literally like hundreds and hundreds of people in in Melbourne and and, and through social media over the last couple of years that watch this beer be one of the few beers that is the eye opener for them for sour beer. And this is like through uh, through working in in a bottle shop and bar. This beer um, alongside maybe you know a dozen or so other beers from other breweries around the country that are the the gateway beers into getting into the sour spectrum whether it's like somebody getting into an anderson valley briny melon beer or uh another great one a couple of years ago was actually a beer that we brought into australia ourselves originally through um uh north down distribution this is separate from sailor's grave uh but a a beer called uh from guilo um called rainbow sherbet watch people absolutely go bonkers on that and but yeah, it's really cool because I I basically got to enjoy watching lemon meringue be, you know, a gateway beer into this kind of stuff. Mm. As I said before, it's not a challenging beer. There's there's a lot of ridiculous. Like I've even been responsible for a handful of them over the years. But there's some stupid sour beers out there, mm. and I'm all about it. But, <laughs> but this one is very very drinkable. Uh, you know, it can be the first beer that you have. It can be. You know, it's also kind of treated as dessert. You never really know where to pair it. Do you do it at the beginning of dinner? Do you do it after dinner? Do you have it for breakfast, lunch, midnight? Well, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well that's part of why we asked that question as well, is both because it's it's fantastic to hear how it fits into your sort of story lineup and your description yeah. of what the brewery is about. But also it fits really well in just sort of a drinking lineup as well. That you know, yeah. time to cleanse the palate. You know, for people who've had a couple of beers before they've come on the show tonight, you know, now's a really good time to get that palate sort of, you know, zinging again. Um, it, it just seems like a really opportune beer in that sense as well. Yeah, and tying that that ties back to the conversation we're having with Callum from um, from Burnley, where he put he put a dark beer right at the end because he wanted that little palate there. He just wanted to cleanse the palate, and it felt felt like the right time after a whole bunch of other things, to just get there and then just go again. And, and by, dark, dark, by dark beer, you mean Goza, yeah? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, that's, yes. No, no, I was talking about sour kind of thing in the middle. Yeah, I know yeah. what you're talking It's all good. You know what I mean. And even Mark, Mark, one of our good friends in the, the chat, Mark, is like, it's good hair of the dog beer. I could totally take, yeah, this, this with a couple of Panadol, Barocca Chaser would be excellent as a as a hair of the dog beer. Um, I mean, a, a fruited sour kind of does actually fit into the into the kind of 
the flavor profile of a Barocca, to be fair, right? Mm-hmm. Citrus. Yeah. It's yeah. that subtle body. Yeah. Uh, really good segue that you just mentioned there about Callum from Burnley. Uh, this weekend, we were launching a beer that we made with Burnley, and it's also a Goza because I love salted beers, and uh-huh. we use sea salt really well. Uh, it's a Leipziger Goza, which is a traditional-style Goza, uh, which is this one. Oh, have you drank it yet? Is the can popped, or have you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I had one at the park this afternoon while taking some social media photos for the brewery on my way home before doing coming to join you guys for the podcast. Nice. The life of a small business. Do it all yourself. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, it is actually really cool. It's uh, it's also got bergamot in it, so it's got like a little bit of subtle kind of Earl Grey kind of herbal tea kind of component to it, mm-hmm. which is cool. But if you want to learn more about that beer, tune in for episode 200 of The Cool Room coming up uh, because Warren and I ventured out to Burnley uh, last Friday night and have already got that episode in the can, so to speak, ready to go. An amazing lineup of Burnley mm. beers that they've collabed on for Oktoberfest. Yeah. Uh, Warren will be drinking that out of the can, right? Uh, he, he, <laughs> no, he we, did we? Any other we way. No, I drank it out of the Yeah, I definitely had a glass. They were really good with that, actually. The, the <laughs> Burnley guys were very good at replacing our glasses. Um but yeah, that's that was that was really good, and the Leipzig um, Goza was 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 top notch. All the beers were great, but the Leipzig Goza was top notch. That was a very very tasty um, tasty guy interlude into our next you know, next set of beers. I I do completely agree. So. Um, David Clark, uh, let's hear about your yeah, David Griffith. Um, David Clark, let's hear about your your kind of craft beer journey. What can you remember the first craft beer you ever had? And uh, yeah, where was it? What were you doing? What'd you think? Yeah, right. Uh, so I was I was living in West Australia, which is where I grew up. Uh, mm-hmm. About fifteen to twenty years, well, maybe fifteen, eighteen years ago, uh, there's a little tiny shop uh, called the IBS. Which is a terrible name for a shop. It's a terrible uh, name for a shop. Uh, it was it's the, like a Korean boy band. It was, and yeah, also it and also some kind of digestive tract problem, but you know, it's a, it, it was the international beer shop, and I'm pretty sure those guys were actually. I could be. Uh, this is a long time ago now. I'm pretty sure they're actually involved in a little tiny company called Phoenix Beer Distribution, who bring in Sierra Nevada and Wine Stefana and some of the earliest craft beers. But I don't reckon we've heard of them. Yeah, I think we're friends of the podcast, as they say on professional podcasts. They used to bring in uh, kegs and you could basically get squealers and growlers. And most of this stuff was not available in package either, right? So you'd go down there with your one litre growler or squealer and you'd fill up from the keg. Uh, from the tap because craft beer wasn't available anywhere else. It wasn't a thing. Mm. Like I think the most exciting thing that you could get at the bottle shop at the time was a, you know, a wine Stefana uh, yeah. crystal or something like that, which is a good beer. And that's what, you know, me and my friends used to do. We'd go to get the, the growler we'd go back to someone's house and or sit at the primary school park or wherever, wherever people drink beers. Uh, and we would Jeez. do that. And then we'd go back an hour later and go get another squealer or a growler from another beer. And it was essentially the most, Simple. It was American hop forward pale ales. Yeah, but it wasn't. That was that wasn't when I fell in love with it. It was actually. It was kind of like two or three years later when the red IPA kind of came out. That's when I was like, "Ooh, 
people are making interesting beer that are com- it's complex and has like you know tertiary components that are really really enjoyable and that's that's when it went from like enjoying drinking a cold beer and socializing and all those kind of things to really going holy shit people can really really uh Do anything really yeah it's amazing interesting things mm. and then i guess uh then the rest of like you know traveling overseas and things like that and seeing seeing that kind of evolve uh, i lived in europe for a couple of years and watching watching it kind of kicking off in europe and then moving back to australia and realizing that uh essentially it was you know a global thing and it was it wasn't just like a thing that was waking up it was like a thing that was constantly evolving and constantly so much creativity whether it was the artwork that was a thing that got us you know got us excited uh it was the crazy names it was people kind of putting eccentric things into the whole branding and whatnot and then it kind of became very very serious and people were making really really good beers and people were making good business out of it and you could go out and enjoy hundreds and hundreds of products throughout the year without touching a multinational beer or yeah. a macro produced beer and that was when i was like this is actually a really really good cool engaging enthusiastic creative uh in- industry and you know there's all types of people that work in this industry, but there's also lots and lots of very, very creative people. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're at a very interesting point this year with a lot of financial changes, not just in our industry, obviously other industries as well. I'm not discounting that, but um, we're at a point where it's very interesting to kind of leveling all that out at the moment, I guess, and seeing what happens next. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um does does sailor sailor's grave kind of have a position on that since we're we're having that conversation do they do they have a sense of something that's that that they're they're gonna do to to yeah look i mean sail on the on this tide that we're all experiencing we're all very very independent minded uh, as far as the business goes there's only like there's like gavin chris kind mm-hmm. of everything and we also have like a couple of other staff down in gippsland uh we've got a couple of really really great supportive distributors around different parts of the country a couple of exporters we're a really really small business and i think we're really really lucky in that way you know we're not a huge overheads business uh we work really really hard you know we're all kind of like you know almost 24 7 as far as the brand goes but it also means that we being a really really small business we essentially kind of get to, we have a lot of control over the things we can make decisions ourselves. We don't have to, you know, have our kind of like, what's the term? Like, have you, have your arm, like, like nobody's kind of twisting your arm because of like ridiculous overheads. And there's like, there's this really nice ability to, with the brand to be able to kind of control things because we are so kind of small Mm -hmm. and light, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Without going into too much, you know, of our own personal stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, the, the brewery is planning to build an actual, uh, a, a second or a, a facility, uh, a brewing facility down in the Gippsland region. We've had some support over the years. Uh, I believe uh, the, the project is called Dune Town. It should be happening in the next 
12, 18 months, I believe, which is actually down near Marlow, which is another, so it's five hours and 20 minutes southeast of Melbourne now. But for, for anyone that was finding, you know, almost too convenient. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, stop in Orbos to have a coffee and uh, see the cow and continue on. Uh, the idea of the facility is to be a multi-use facility. So basically use the facility to uh, uh, produce, prepare, work with grains, essentially. So trying to basically create all Australian beer. So one of the things in beer, as I said, not a brewer earlier, but um, one of the things in the Australian beer industry in all of our beers is is foreign malts. Mm. And the idea is to try to use this facility to try to make beer as Australian as possible. You, you know, as far as the malt, the hops, the water, the yeast, like all of the thing, all the ingredients. So a bit of a multi-use kind of facility. And that's, that's Gavin Chris's brainchild. And I think that's really, really cool. And I hope that the whole industry, whether it's the, the beer drinkers, the people uh, on my side of the beer industry, the buyers, the people that aren't even interested in beer, whether even if it's a local community down in the southwest, southeast, hopefully everyone really gets on gets on board with that because it is a very, very much like a, an independent, community minded concept, and I think that's pretty pretty cool. It's not like a big company kind of like posing to be kind of like cool and independent. Like these guys are as authentic and genuine as it gets, as far as wearing like their hearts on their sleeves, trying to make cool shit happen. So that's kind of, that's where we're at as a brewery as well in the kind of down the pipeline, at least. I think it's a, that's fascinating to hear. And one of those sort of stories, one of the things we love here in the Corium podcast is the fact that we sort of hear these stories over the episodes that we have. And so it'd be great to sort of check back in over time to sort of, you know, see how that dream unfolds. Um, Sort of going back to some of your beginnings, we you know we know you wear all of these different hats. Um, were you a home brewer yourself along the way? Have you ever done anything along those lines? Because that must be about the only thing you haven't done if you haven't. I uh, have had a crack at it a few times, and we made some really cool beers down at the at Bar SK, which is a little place I used to own with another uh, with my friend uh, Louis down in on Smith Street in Collingwood. We had a couple of cracks at home brewing. It's too laborious. <laughs> I would rather let someone else do it. Yeah, that's a good call, actually. Well, I'm not that. I'm not that. I don't have the patience. I've got like, I don't know if I got ADD or something, but like, I just don't have the patience. I instead decided that I would go to dozens of other breweries, even international breweries, and go, "Hey, I've got this great idea. You guys make this beer, and I'll bring it to the Australian market for you." And that's that's what that's my that's my brewing, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> well, so let's let's touch on those bits because again, you've said you've only been you know out at Sales Grave for the last year or two, but you know very clearly we've sort of got all those hints along the way there of some of these other things you've been involved in, bars you've owned, you've been around the Melbourne beer scene, you've been a, a leader in some of that. Which bars are you associated with at the moment? And um, tell us a bit about those processes because I think this is also leading to one of those things where the cool room's going to spend more time with you in the future. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, everyone knows everyone in uh, in the local beer scene. Uh, but, yeah, uh, a part of Beer Mash in Collingwood as well, also on Smith Street. 
taken a bit of a backseat on the business in the last year or so. So I kind of just do little bits and pieces. Um, there's a couple of us involved in that business uh, and we've got some really, really good management and staff members down there now as well. So it's kind of uh, a good, nice to um, be able to kind of spread your wings and do other things within the industry, which is really cool. Um, and also involved in a little company called Pause Canned Cocktails with Clint, who some people from the podcast will know is Pocket Beagles, uh, who does... Everyone from the podcast knows. Like, it doesn't matter what we're doing, Clint comes yeah. up somehow. Uh, and we've got another, there's another uh, fellow with us as well who actually is behind the, the actual cocktail recipes, but we're doing cocktail-inspired hard sodas, seltzers... Oh beers, whatever, just there's a cocktail-minded kind of thing underneath it. We're trying to make cocktails in uh, normal-sized, achievable kind of drinking capacities. Uh, mm. Yeah, Clint's, Clint's also behind, like, a whole bunch of other brands, like Bright, uh, Co-Conspirators, obviously, uh, Two Rupees, uh, just recently Batch, and I'm sure there's a whole bunch of other things that uh, I should remember, but he'll tell me off for not remembering. You don't have to spruik on Clint's behalf. No, no, no. Yeah. He can do As, his own. He can do, do his own thing. Uh, essentially, yeah. Yeah, yeah. My, my, my history, of my, my entire work history has been working in the independent sales on creative ventures, whether it was working in music or beer. Uh, if it's creative and it's independent, I'm there. Really, it's really easy. It's really easy, it's easy to sell cool, independent, exciting new <laughs> shit. Uh, and I love sharing that with people. Uh, I get a kick out of it constantly. That's really cool. And there's lots of uh, amazing people doing amazing things. Um, James Murphy, thanks for your review. Um, Paws mojitos were actually okay. Put that on a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Thanks, James I think, Murphy. Yeah, I've, I've been lucky enough to enjoy one because the bloke <laughs> who delivered these beers to me uh, gave me one at the time. Maybe the same bloke who's on the podcast right now. I've, I enjoyed it. It's a very much something that I can get into without all the hassle of actually having to have the mojito. Yeah, to, yeah, to make a mojito. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, already made for you. Yeah, I love it. I love the idea and the creativity behind behind um, uh, canned cocktails and, and beverages. Is yeah, it's been yeah a nice little segment of the world. Uh, um, I'm really bad at reading all the messages down the side because of my ability to concentrate. But uh, Shana just asked a message asking about collaborations uh, with Crystal Peck, uh, who's an absolutely gorgeous human. Uh, We made a beer with with her recently. She made a a, uh, basically a spliced kind of uh, malt uh, through Belgian malt, uh, which was using like a cookie dough and gingerbread infusion. And she came to us and said, can you guys make a beer to really showcase this malt profile, which is this whole kind of cool new thing that she's doing. And we did like a carrot cake beer, which was really weird and stupidly enjoyable to drink. Uh, so to answer the question, will we do anything with her again? I fucking hope so. Uh, yeah. I essentially like as much as like, I love to like, we love to kind of like re-release a thing that you make. We're also like, we're always striving, which is probably like our own, Maybe it's a bad thing. We we're like, let's make a new thing instead of just like rehashing the thing you did last year. Let's do a new thing. We probably should actually re-release a whole bunch of stuff that is usually quite successful on the semi-regular. But that was a really cool beer, and it wasn't. It was cool because it was like showcasing 
one of the ingredients in beer that's not normally highlighted. Nobody highlights and goes, ooh, look at the you know, yeah. water. I think Kaiju did a beer a couple of years ago showcasing uh, – it was like the same ingredients as a U.S. brewery, and the only difference was Australian water versus American water. And they basically created this beer to showcase the, the difference yeah. between the two, which is really cool because nobody normally showcases those things. Normally it's the the forward prominent factors of the beer that – you know, we as consumers all care about the fruit or like the the uh, the hops or the, you know, the prime kind of ingredients. It was really cool to do that. So hopefully she works on some other stuff that we can yeah. uh, maybe embrace again. Um, yeah, that was really cool. I might sort of have one more question before we perhaps wrap up this sort of part of things, but re- really keen to sort of hear about how, the knowledge that you get by, you know, being a, a bar owner, by all of those other parts of, you know, your, your work, what that lends to your knowledge when you go out on the road repping and advice you might have for other reps and particularly people who listen to the podcast, we know there are many who aspire to become reps. So what is it as a <laughs> bar owner that, you know, over the years you've gone, that's what I need in a rep, apart from not turning up at, exact moment when you're busiest <laughs> yeah that's a, uh, i was having a conversation with someone about that yesterday actually at the lincoln uh yeah make meetings with people don't just cold call people it's just like i don't know you know when you know when your phone rings and it's someone like a telemarketer or something just cold calling you you get really annoyed but if they contacted you beforehand and said hey hey guys do you mind if i contact you on thursday afternoon at 3 p.m to discuss me selling you solar panels you'd be like okay yes or no government that's 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 my that's definitely my thing with with the whole industry like i i as a buyer i used to find that sales reps would be uh lining up like five of them all at once just you couldn't you can't do any work uh just i don't know read the room <clears throat> Don't get me started on people dropping in resumes right in the middle of lunch service. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, I I never wanted to be a sales rep, to be perfectly honest. And I used to joke to a lot of friends and say the only people I would go and do it for would be Sailor's Grave. Uh, and then one day Gab contacted me and said... You know that thing you keep on saying in all those bars? We've <laughs> yeah. heard about it. <laughs> no, th- th- I think those guys actually contacted me uh, asking me for advice as to who they should hire. And, you know, a couple of days later, I just said, I'll do it. I kind of, because they're, they're so far away from Melbourne, they can't be everywhere and they can't mm-hmm. represent the brand in Melbourne all the time. And I guess, you know, you do need to have connectivity, to, whether it's connecting with, people that are out there that are con- the, the, the drinkers, the consumers, the people listening to the podcast, the people on, the, on Zoom, or if it's the, the, the people that are selling your beers, the, the bartenders, the bottle shop owners and, and things like that. Uh, it is actually a really important part of, of a business. And Absolutely. I essentially, I, I, these, I, I, I thought these guys were doing some of the best stuff in Melbourne, in, in Australia, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people will also agree and a lot of people in the beer industry also tend to agree. And yeah, I guess they kind of needed someone to kind of represent them. And yeah, I didn't really want to be a salesperson because I really like the enormous, I like, I like, kind of, you know, keeping to myself, but uh, it's a fun job. It's cool. You get to do all sorts of different shit every day. Every hour you're doing something completely different. 
Who did yeah. you speak to at the Lincoln? Sorry? Who were you speaking to at the Lincoln? Uh, I was talking to Brent. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah, we we're talking about Carlton. Carlton. <laughs> <laughs> I I can see exactly which uh, which sort of little avenue this is going down. I think yeah. this is an excellent time to pause before Warren starts to bring out all of his Lincoln uh, anecdotes. And no, Lincoln no, I wasn't anecdotes. bringing out any Lincoln anecdotes. I was just saying hello, you know. Um, and the Lincoln. I'm still like, yeah, you know. And I was just making going to make a comment. Look, hey, David, what would be the thing you'd say to the person who you wanted to be your beer rep um, if you were say? Would you just say who would like, if you go and broach the question, would you just ask the person you wanted to be a beer rep, oh, who should do you think I should be my beer rep? Which David are you asking? Both, because I think both of you understand where that was going. <laughs> or maybe we could just cut that out. Um, yeah, I think I was this, time for a break. this might be an excellent time mm. to press pause in episode 198. Pause. Give us a little break to go <laughs> and freshen our glasses, freshen our palates with a pause, a mojito can, uh, if we need, and um, make sure that everyone who's listening in uh, on the podcast version knows that joining us on Thursday nights live in the Zoom room is a great fun thing to do. Obviously, you get to interact with the brewers. We sit around and have a couple of beers after we finish recording, uh, and the best bit about it is that we get insights because we've got this whole team of people here in the room who can Google things for us. And Jane, uh, I've got to say that I am uh, very grateful for your Google uh, efforts tonight. We've been recording for an hour or so, and Jane has been researching. Uh, first of all, which uh, is further east out of Orbost and Melbourne? And apparently. No, it's uh, definitely Orbost, but it's only 0.116 degrees north of Melbourne. So it's almost the definition of due east. And also the elevation difference. You have to look that up for yourselves <laughs> or listening to episode 199 of The Cool Room, which we'll be recording after we have a little break here in the Zoom room. 